0: Hello and welcome back. My name is Tom Padgett, and this is The Overcrowded Bookshelf, my audiobook podcast where once a week I take one of the books from my extremely overcrowded bookshelf and I read that story to you. We're all finished with Jekyll and Hyde now. I hope you've enjoyed hearing that story the last few weeks. But this week we move on to a new story. And today's story features a character. ...that I'm almost certain you've heard of. As usual this week, I posted three clues on my Instagram... ...that's at overcrowded bookshelf if you're not yet following that. And if you've looked at those clues, you might have guessed... ...that this week's story is about Robin Hood. Robin Hood is a character from English folklore... ...who has been written about, talked about and even sung about... ...since as early as the 14th and 15th centuries... He's featured in probably hundreds of books, movies, TV shows, stage shows, probably even puppet shows, and so on. So the first clue this week features an author who wrote one of many versions of the Robin Hood story. The author in the picture is Howard Pyle. He was an American author and illustrator who wrote stories about a lot of famous characters from history and folklore. Some of his books include... The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood, the story of King Arthur and his Round Table, and he also wrote A Book of Pirates. Hopefully, in the future, I'll feature some stories from those other books as well on the podcast. The second clue this week is a screen grab from the movie Shrek, and it shows Robin Hood and his merry men. In that movie, they only pop up briefly, and they're actually sort of villains. They attack the main characters. For some inexplicable reason they have French accents and they sing a song about how great Monsieur Hood is. And for the final clue, I really could have picked any number of actors that have played Robin Hood or any movie versions of Robin Hood, but I thought I'd choose the one that meant the most to me as a child, and that is the Disney animated Robin Hood. I loved that movie as a child and I still do to this day. The moment I chose from that movie is Robin Hood, who's a fox in this version, and he's in disguise to sneak into an archery tournament, so he's a fox that's dressing up as a stork. Another great movie, and one that meant a lot to me as a child, and one of the many reasons that I love the character of Robin Hood. So that leads us into today's story. Howard Pyle wrote quite a long collection of stories called The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood, I remember first discovering this book as a child at a public library and it was such a big chunky book but it looked so cool and I was so determined to read it it had great illustrations in it as well and it was a struggle for me as a young child because this book was written in the 1870s and uses older language that was a little hard for young Tom to read but I was so determined to read it and finish it that I just pushed through Now that I'm a bit older, I can understand the words and the tone of the words a bit more. And so I'm hoping I can bring those words to life for you today. And so even though it features older language, I hope it doesn't sound boring or old, but it actually is fun and vibrant and exciting, which is what this story is meant to be. As this is a very long book, I obviously won't be covering all of it today. And I'm also not planning to do them all in order and do a 10 episode series on it or something. So I'm actually just going to be reading the preface that Howard Pyle wrote to his collection of stories, and then I'll be reading the first story in the collection, which is about how Robin Hood came to be an outlaw. So I think that's more than enough background for now, and without further ado, let's get into the story. The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood Written by Howard Pyle Preface From the author to the reader You who so plod amid serious things that you feel it shame to give yourself up even for a few short moments to mirth and joyousness in the land of fancy. You who think that life hath naught to do with innocent laughter that can harm no one These pages are not for you. Clap to the leaves and go no farther than this, for I tell you plainly that if you go farther, you will be scandalised by seeing good sober folks of real history so frisk and caper in gay colours and motley that you would not know them but for the names tagged to them. Here is a stout, lusty fellow with a quick temper, yet none so ill for all that, "'who goes by the name of Henry II. "'Here is a fair, gentle lady, "'before whom all the others bow "'and call her Queen Eleanor. "'Here is a fat rogue of a fellow, "'dressed up in rich robes of a clerical kind, "'that all the good folk call "'my Lord Bishop of Hereford. "'Here is a certain fellow "'with a sour temper and grim look, the Worshipful, the Sheriff of Nottingham. And here, above all, is a great, tall, merry fellow that roams the Greenwood and joins in homely sports and sits beside the Sheriff at Merry Feast, which same beareth the name of the proudest of the Plantagenets, Richard of the Lion's Heart. Beside these are a whole host of knights, priests, nobles, burghers, yeomen, pages, ladies, lasses, landlords, beggars, peddlers, and what not, all living the merriest of merry lives, and all bound by nothing but a few odd strands of certain old ballads, snipped and clipped and tied together again in a score of knots, which draw these joking fellows here and there, singing as they go. Here you will find a hundred dull, sober jogging places, all tricked out with flowers and what not, till no one would know them in their fanciful dress. And here is a country bearing a well-known name, wherein no chill mists press upon our spirits, and no rain falls but what rolls off our backs, like April showers off the backs of sleek drakes where flowers bloom forever, and birds are always singing, where every fellow hath a merry catch as he travels the roads, and ale and beer and wine, such as muddle no wits, flow like water in a brook. This country is not fairyland. What is it? Tis the land of fancy, and is of that pleasant kind that, when you tire of it, Whisk, you clap the leaves of this book together, and tis gone, and you are ready for everyday life, with no harm done. And now I lift the curtain that hangs between here and no man's land. Will you come with me, sweet reader? I thank you. Give me your hand. How Robin Hood's came to be an outlaw. In merry England in the time of old, when good King Henry the Second ruled the land, there lived within the green glades of Sherwood Forest, near Nottingham Town, a famous outlaw whose name was Robin Hood. No archer ever lived that could speed a grey goose shaft with such skill and cunning as his, nor were there ever such yeomen as the seven score merry men that roamed with him through the greenwood shades. Right merrily they dwelled within the depths of Sherwood Forest, suffering neither care nor want, but passing the time in merry games of archery or bouts of cudgel play, living upon the king's venison, washed down with draughts of ale of October brewing. Not only Robin himself, but all the band were outlaws, and dwelled apart from other men. Yet they were beloved by the country people round about, for no one ever came to Jolly Robin for help in time of need, and went away again with an empty fist. And now I will tell how it came about that Robin Hood fell afoul of the law. When Robin was a youth of eighteen, stout of sinew and bold of heart, the sheriff of Nottingham proclaimed a shooting match and offered a prize of a butt of ale to whosoever should shoot the best shaft in Nottinghamshire. Now, quoth Robin, will I go too, for fain would I draw a string for the bright eyes of my lass and a butt of good October brewing. So up he got and took his good stout yew bow and a score or more of broad clothyard arrows, and started off from Locksley Town, through Sherwood Forest, to Nottingham. It was at the dawn of day, in the merry Maytime, when hedgerows are green and flowers bedeck the meadows, daisies pied and yellow cuckoo buds and fair primroses all along the briery hedges, when apple buds blossom and sweet birds sing the lark at dawn of day, the throttlecock cock and cuckoo, when lads and lasses look upon each other with sweet thoughts, when busy housewives spread their linen to bleach upon the bright green grass. Sweet was the greenwood as he walked along its paths, and bright the green and rustling leaves, amid which the little birds sang with might and main and blithely Robin whistled as he trudged along, thinking of Maid Marian and her bright eyes, for at such times a youth's thoughts are wont to turn pleasantly upon the lass that he loves the best. As thus he walked along with a brisk step and a merry whistle, he came suddenly upon some foresters, seated beneath a great oak tree. Fifteen there were in all, making themselves merry with feasting and drinking as they sat around a huge pasty, to which each man helped himself, thrusting his hands into the pie, and washing down that which they ate with great horns of ale, which they drew all foaming from a barrel that stood nigh. Each man was clad in Lincoln green, and a fine show they made, seated upon the sward beneath that fair spreading tree. Then one of them, with his mouth full, called out to Robin, ''Hallo, where goest thou, little lad, with thy one-penny bow and thy farthing shafts?'' Then Robin grew angry, for no stripling likes to be taunted with his green years. ''Now,'' quoth he, My bow and eke mine arrows are as good as shine, and moreover I go to the shooting match at Nottingham Town, which same has been proclaimed by our good sheriff of Nottinghamshire. There I will shoot with other stout yeomen, for a prize has been offered of a fine butt of ale.' Then one who held a horn of ale in his hand said, "'Ho, listen to the lad!' Why, boy, thy mother's milk is yet scarce dry upon thy lips, and yet thou pratest of standing up with good stout men at Nottingham butts, thou who art scarce able to draw one string of a two-stone bow. I'll hold the best of you twenty marks, quoth bold Robin, that I hit the clout at three-score rods, by the good help of our lady fair. At this all laughed aloud, and one said, "'Well boasted thou, fair infant, well boasted! "'And well thou knowest that no target is nigh to make good thy wager.' "'And another cried, "'He will be taking ale with his milk next.' "'Now done!' cried he who had spoken first. "'And here are twenty marks. "'I wager that thou causest no beast to die, "'with or without the help of our lady.' Then Robin took his good yew bow in his hand, and placing the tip at his instep he strung it right deftly. Then he knocked a broad clothyard arrow, and raising the bow, drew the grey goose feather to his ear. The next moment the bowstring rang, and the arrow sped down the glade as a sparrow hawk skims in a northern wind. High leaped the noblest heart of all the herd only to fall dead, reddening the green path with his heart's blood. Ha! cried Robin, how likest thou that shot, good fellow? I wot the wager were mine, and it were three hundred pounds. Then all the foresters were filled with rage, and he who had spoken the first and had lost the wager was more angry than all. Nay! cried he. The wager is none of thine, and get thee gone straightway. Or, by all the saints of heaven, I'll baste thy sides until thou wilt ne'er be able to walk again. Knowest thou not, said another, that thou hast killed the king's deer, and, by the laws of our gracious lord and sovereign king Harry, thine ears should be shaven close to thy head? Catch him, cried a third. Nay, said a fourth. Let him, Ian, go because of his tender years. Never a word, said Robin Hood, but he looked at the foresters with a grim face. Then, turning on his heel, strode away from them down the forest glade. But his heart was bitterly angry, for his blood was hot and youthful and prone to boil. Now... "'Well would it have been for him who had first spoken "'had he left Robin Hood alone. "'But his anger was hot, "'both because the youth had gotten the better of him "'and because of the deep draughts of ale that he had been quaffing. "'So, of a sudden, without any warning, "'he sprang to his feet and seized upon his bow "'and fitted it to a shaft. "'Aye!' cried he, "'and I'll hurry thee anon.' and he sent the arrow whistling after Robin. It was well for Robin Hood that that same forester's head was spinning with ale, or else he would have never taken another step. As it was, the arrow whistled within three inches of his head. Then he turned around and quickly drew his own bow, and sent an arrow back in return. Ye said I was no archer, cried he aloud, but say so now again. The shaft flew straight. The archer fell forward with a cry and lay on his face upon the ground, his arrows rattling about him from out of his quiver. The grey goose shaft wet with his heart's blood. Then, before the others could gather their wits about them, Robin Hood was gone into the depth of the green wood. Some started after him, but not with much heart. For each feared to suffer the death of his fellow. So presently they all came and lifted the dead man up and bore him away to Nottingham town. Meanwhile Robin Hood ran through the greenwood. Gone was all the joy and brightness from everything, for his heart was sick within him, and it was borne in upon his soul that he had slain a man. Alas! cried he. Thou hast found me an archer that will make thy wife to ring. I would that thou hadst ne'er said one word to me, or even that my right forefinger had been stricken off ere that this had happened. In haste I smote, but grieve I sore at leisure. And then, even in his trouble, he remembered the old sore that what is done is done, and the egg-cracked cannot be cured. And so he came to dwell in the greenwood that was to be his home for many a year to come, never again to see the happy days with the lads and lasses of sweet Locksley town, for he was outlawed, not only because he had killed a man, but also because he had poached upon the king's deer, and two hundred pounds were set upon his head, as a reward for whoever would bring him to the court of the king. Now the sheriff of Nottingham swore that he himself would bring this knave, Robin Hood, to justice, and for two reasons. First, because he wanted the two hundred pounds, and next, because the forester that Robin Hood had killed was of kin to him. But Robin Hood lay hidden in Sherwood Forest for one year, and in that time there gathered around him many others like himself, cast out from other folk for this cause and for that. Some had shot deer in hungry winter time, when they could get no other food, and had been seen in the act by the foresters, but had escaped, thus saving their ears. Some had been turned out of their inheritance, that their farms might be added to the king's lands in Sherwood Forest. Some had been despoiled by a great baron or a rich abbot or a powerful esquire. All, for one cause or another, had come to Sherwood to escape wrong and oppression. So, in all that year, five score or more good stout yeomen gathered about Robin Hood, and chose him to be their leader and chief then they vowed that even as they themselves had been despoiled, they would despoil their oppressors, whether baron, abbot, knight or squire, and that from each they would take that which had been wrung from the poor by unjust taxes, or land rents, or in wrongful fines. But to the poor folk they would give a helping hand in need and trouble, and would return to them that which had been unjustly taken from them, Besides this, they swore never to harm a child, nor to wrong a woman, be she maid, wife, or widow. So that, after a while, when the people began to find that no harm was meant to them, but that money or food came in time of want to many a poor family, they came to praise Robin and his merry men, and to tell many tales of him and his doings in Sherwood Forest. "'for they felt him to be one of themselves. "'Up rose Robin Hood one merry morn, "'when all the birds were singing blithely among the leaves, "'and up rose all his merry men, "'each fellow washing his head and hands "'in the cold brown brook "'that leaped laughing from stone to stone. "'Then said Robin, "'For fourteen days have we seen no sport.' "'so now I will go abroad to seek adventures forthwith. "'But tarry ye, my merry men all, here in the greenwood. "'Only see that ye mind well my coal. Three blasts upon the bugle-horn I will blow in my hour of need. "'Then come quickly, for I shall want your aid.' "'So saying, he strode away through the leafy forest glades.' until he had come to the verge of Sherwood. There he wandered for a long time, through highway and byway, through dingley dell and forest skirts. Now he met a fair buxom lass in a shady lane, and each gave the other a merry word and passed their way. Now he saw a fair lady upon an ambling pad, to whom he doffed his cap, and who bowed sedately in return to the fair youth. Now he saw a fat monk on a pannier-laden ass. Now a gallant knight, with spear and shield and armour that flashed brightly in the sunlight. Now a page clad in crimson. And now a stout burgher from good Nottingham town, pacing along with serious footsteps. All these sights he saw, but adventure found he none. At last he took a road by the forest's skirts, a by-path that dipped toward a broad, pebbly stream, spanned by a narrow bridge made of a log of wood. As he drew nigh this bridge, he saw a tall stranger coming from the other side. Thereupon Robin quickened his pace, as did the stranger likewise, each thinking to cross first. Now stand thou back, quoth Robin, and let the better man cross first. Nay, answered the stranger, then stand back, shine own self. For the better man, I wot am I. That we will presently see, quoth Robin. And meanwhile stand thou where thou art, or else, by the bright brow of St. Alfreda, I will show thee right good Nottingham play, with a cloth-yard shaft betwixt thy ribs. Now, quoth the stranger, I will tan thy hide till it be as many colours as a beggar's cloak, if thou darest so much as touch a string of that same bow that thou holdest in thy hands. Thou pratest like an ass, said Robin, for I could send this shaft clean through thy proud heart, before a kirtle friar could say grace over a roast goose, "'had Michael mistired. "'And thou pratest like a coward,' answered the stranger, "'for thou standest there with a good yew-bow "'to shoot at my heart. "'While I have naught in my hand "'but a plain blackthorn staff wherewith to meet thee. "'Now,' quoth Robin, "'by the faith of my heart "'never have I had a coward's name in all my life before. "'I will lay by my trusty bow,' and eke my arrows and if thou darest abide my coming, I will go and cut a cudgel, to test thy manhood withal. Ay, Marry, that will I abide thy coming, and joyously too, quoth the stranger. Whereupon he leaned sturdily upon his staff to await Robin. Then Robin Hood stepped quickly to the cover side, and cut a good staff of ground oak, "'straight, without new, and six feet in length, "'and came back trimming away the tender stems from it, "'while the stranger waited for him, "'leaning upon his staff and whistling as he gazed round about. "'Robin observed him furtively as he trimmed his staff, "'measuring him from top to toe from out the corner of his eye, "'and thought that he had never seen a lustier or a stouter man.' Tall was Robin, but taller was the stranger by a head and a neck, for he was seven feet in height. Broad was Robin across the shoulders, but broader was the stranger by twice the breadth of a palm, while he measured at least an ell around the waist. Nevertheless, said Robin to himself, I will base thy hide right merrily, my good fellow. Then, aloud, "'Lo!' Here is my good staff, lusty and tough. Now wait my coming, and thou darest, and meet me, and thou fearest not. Then we will fight, until one or the other of us tumble into the stream by dint of blows. Marry, that meeteth my whole heart, cried the stranger, twirling his staff above his head, betwixt his fingers and thumb, until it whistled again. Never did the knights of Arthur's round table meet in a stouter fight than did these two. In a moment, Robin stepped quickly upon the bridge where the stranger stood. First he made a feint, and then delivered a blow at the stranger's head that, had it met its mark, would have tumbled him speedily into the water. But the stranger turned the blow right deftly, and in return gave one as stout— which Robin also turned as the stranger had done. So they stood, each in his place, neither moving a finger's breadth back for one good hour, and many blows were given and received by each in that time, till here and there were sore bones and bumps, yet neither thought of crying, Enough! nor seemed likely to fall off from the bridge. Now and then they stopped to rest, and each thought that he never had seen in all his life before such a hand at quarterstaff. At last Robin gave the stranger a blow upon the ribs that made his jacket smoke like a damp straw thatch in the sun. So shrewd was the stroke that the stranger came within a hair's breadth of falling off the bridge, but he regained himself right quickly and, by a dexterous blow, gave Robin a crack on the crown that caused the blood to flow. Then Robin grew mad with anger, and smote with all his might at the other. But the stranger warded the blow, and once again thwacked Robin, and this time so fairly that he fell heels overhead into the water, as the queen pin falls in a game of bowls. "'And where art thou now, my good lad?' shouted the stranger, roaring with laughter. Oh, in the flood, and floating adown with the tide, cried Robin, nor could he forbear laughing himself at his sorry plight. Then, gaining his feet, he waded to the bank, the little fish speeding hither and thither, all frightened at his splashing. Give me thy hand, cried he, when he had reached the bank. I must needs own thou art a brave and a sturdy soul, and withal, "'a good stout stroke with the cudgels. "'By this and by that my head hummeth "'like to a hive of bees on a hot June day. "'Then he clapped his horn to his lips "'and winded a blast that went echoing sweetly "'down the forest paths. "'Aye, marry,' quoth he again, "'thou art a tall lad, and eke a brave one. "'For ne'er, I bow, is there a man "'betwixt here and Canterbury town?' could do the like to me that thou hast done. And thou, quoth the stranger laughing, takest thy cudgelling like a brave heart, and a stout yeoman. But now the distant twigs and branches rustled with the coming of good men, and suddenly a score or two of good stout yeomen, all clad in Lincoln green, burst from out the cover, with merry will Stutely at their head. "'Good master,' cried Will, "'how is this? Truly thou art all wet from head to foot, and that to the very skin?' "'Why, marry,' answered Jolly Robin, "'yon stout fellow hath tumbled me neck and crop into the water, and hath given me a drubbing besides. "'Then shall he not go without a ducking and eke a drubbing himself?' cried Will stutely. "'Have at him, lads!' Then Will and a score of yeomen leaped upon the stranger, but though they sprang quickly they found him ready and felt him strike right and left with his stout staff, so that, though he went down with press of numbers, some of them rubbed cracked crowns before he was overcome. Nay, forbear, cried Robin, laughing until his sore sides ached again, He's is a right good man and true, and no harm shall befall him, now hark ye, good youth, Wilt thou stay with me, And be one of my band? Three suits of Lincoln green Shalt thou have each year, Beside forty marks in fee, And share with us Whatsoever good shall befall us. Thou shalt eat sweet venison, And quaff the stoutest ale, And mine own good right-hand man Shalt thou be, For never did I see such a cudgel-player In all my life before. Speak, Speak, Wilt thou be one of my good merry men? That know I not, quoth the stranger surlily, for he was angry at being so tumbled about. If ye handle you bow and apple shaft no better than ye do oak and cudgel, I watch ye are not fit to be called yeoman in my country. But if there be any man here that can shoot a better shaft than I, then will I bethink me of joining with you. Now by my faith, said Robin, Thou art a right saucy, valet, sir. Yet I will stoop to thee As I have never stooped to a man before. Good stootly, cut thou a fair white piece of bark, Four fingers in breadth, And set it fourscore yards distant on yonder oak. Now, stranger, hit that fairly with a grey goose shaft, And call thyself an archer. Ay, marry, that will I, Answered he, Give me a good stout bow, and a fair broad arrow, and if I hit it not, strip me and beat me blue with bowstrings. Then he chose the stoutest bow among them all, next to Robin's own, and a grey goose shaft well feathered and smooth, and stepping to the mark, while all the band, sitting or lying upon the greensward, watched to see him shoot. He drew the arrow to his cheek, and loosed the shaft right deftly, sending it so straight down the path that it clove the mark in the very centre. ''Aha!'' cried he, ''Mend thou that, if thou canst!'' While even the yeomen clapped their hands at so fair a shot. ''That is a keen shot indeed,'' quoth Robin. ''Mend it I cannot, but mar it I may, perhaps.'' Then, taking up his own good stout bow, and knocking an arrow with care, he shot with his very greatest skill. Straight flew the arrow, and so true that it lit fairly upon the stranger's shaft, and split it into splinters. Then all the yeomen leaped to their feet and shouted for joy that their master had shot so well. "'Now by the lusty yew bow of good St. Withold!' cried the stranger. "'That is a shot indeed, and never saw I the like in all my life before. "'Now truly will I be thy man henceforth, and for aye. "'Good Adam Bell was a fair shot, but never shot he so.' "'Then have I gained a right good man this day,' quoth Jolly Robin. "'What name goest thou by, good fellow?' "'Men call me John Little, whence I came,' answered the stranger. "'Then Will Stutely, who loved a good jest, spoke up. "'Nay, fair little stranger,' said he, "'I like not thy name, and fain would I have it otherwise. "'Little art thou indeed, and small of bone and sinew. "'Therefore shalt thou be christened Little John, "'and I will be thy godfather.' Then Robin Hood and all his band laughed aloud, until the stranger began to grow angry. "'And thou make a jest of me,' quoth he to Will stutely, "'thou wilt have sore bones and little pay, and that in short season.' "'Nay, good friend,' said Robin Hood, "'bottle thine anger, for the name fitteth thee well. "'Little John shalt thou be called henceforth, and little John shall it be. "'So come, my merry men,' "'we will prepare a christening feast for this fair infant.' "'So turning their backs upon the stream, "'they plunged into the forest once more, "'through which they traced their steps till they reached the spot "'where they dwelled in the depth of the woodland. "'There had they built huts of bark and branches of trees "'and made couches of sweet rushes spread over with skins of fallow deer.' Here stood a great oak tree with branches spreading broadly around, beneath which was a seat of green moss, where Robin Hood was wont to sit at feast and at merry-making with his stout men about him. Here they found the rest of the band, some of whom had come in with a brace of fat does. Then they all built great fires, and after a time roasted the does, and broached a barrel of humming ale. Then, when the feast was ready, they all sat down. But Robin placed Little John at his right hand, for he was henceforth to be the second in the band. Then, when the feast was done, Will stutely spoke up. It is now time, I ween, to christen our bonny babe. Is it not so, merry boys? And, aye, aye, cried all. "'laughing till the woods echoed with their mirth. "'Then seven sponsors shall we have,' quoth Will stutely. "'And hunting among all the band, "'he chose the seven stoutest men of them all. "'Now by St. Dunstan,' cried Little John, "'springing to his feet, "'more than one of you shall rue it, "'and you lay a finger upon me.' "'But without a word they all ran upon him at once.' "'seizing him by his legs and arms "'and holding him tightly in spite of his struggles, "'and they bore him forth while all stood around to see the sport. "'Then one came forward who had been chosen to play the priest, "'because he had a bold crown, "'and in his hand he carried a brimming pot of ale. "'Now who bringeth this babe?' asked he right soberly. "'That do I,' answered Will stutely. And what name callest thou him? Little John call I him. Now, little John, quoth the mock priest, Thou hast not lived heretofore, And only got thee along through the world, But henceforth thou wilt live indeed. When thou livest not, thou wast called John Little, But now that thou dost live indeed, Little John shalt thou be called, "'So christen I thee.' "'And at these last words "'he emptied the pot of ale "'upon Little John's head. "'They all shouted with laughter "'as they saw the good brown ale "'stream over Little John's beard "'and trickle from his nose and chin "'while his eyes blinked "'with the smart of it. "'At first he was of a mind "'to be angry, "'but found he could not, "'because the others were so merry.' So he, too, laughed with the rest. Then Robin took this sweet, pretty babe, Clothed him all anew from top to toe in Lincoln green, And gave him a good stout bow, And so made him a member of the merry band. And thus it was that Robin Hood became outlawed, Thus a band of merry companions gathered about him, And thus he gained his right-hand man, Little John. And so the prologue ends. And that brings us to the end of the story for today. I'm sorry to cut it off there, because it was about to launch into another great story. And I'm hoping that down the track I will return to this and read some more stories of Robin Hood. So if you enjoyed this story, and if you would like that, please let me know. I hope you enjoyed the slightly crazy, ridiculous story that I just read. I think it's an interesting portrayal of Robin Hood as not a perfectly good man, because he did just get angry and murder someone, which is a fairly big deal. I think I appreciated that he felt that distress, but ultimately had to just accept that what is done is done. And I enjoyed that little proverb that they use, that the egg cracked cannot be cured. I hope you got a good sense of what was happening, even though the language is a bit older and a bit trickier. I find this book uses the word lusty a lot in a way that I'm not really sure I've ever heard it before. And sometimes some of the grammar isn't what we would use now, and it can be a bit confusing but I hope I captured the spirit of it and I hope you are able to enjoy and follow along and see the story unfold in front of you. This is by no means the only story of Robin Hood that you can read, and there's nothing to say that this is the right or true portrayal of Robin Hood, but I hope you enjoyed this version of the Robin Hood folklore. I especially enjoy meeting little John and seeing him being christened like a baby. I find that scene very... Ridiculous, but a lot of fun. And it's stories like that that really do paint Robin's band as a group of merry men. But anyway, I had a lot of fun with that. I hope that you enjoyed it too. And I hope you join me again next week for a new story. So I'll say it again, it's not going to be another Robin Hood story, but just a new story next week. As always, you can follow the podcast on Facebook at The Overcrowded Bookshelf. You can follow it on Instagram at overcrowded underscore bookshelf. And you can listen to the podcast through my Facebook page or on Spotify or through Google Podcasts. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave me a review or comment on my Facebook page. It would mean a lot to know that people are listening and enjoying and I will happily take any tips or thoughts you have on how I can improve the podcast. I think that's all. So thanks for joining me again. I hope you have a great week and God bless.